0: up everybody this is eric t and larry with the black financial initiative podcast today we have a great episode coming to you we have another guest for you i'll pass it to larry to introduce our guest
1: hello everybody all initiators thank you for listening we got cedric nash the founder of black wealth summit annual event and the author of the forthcoming book why should white guys have all the wealth how you can become a millionaire starting from the bottom and the millionaire money moves supplemental investment guide he also founded oakland consulting group Inc. Cedric, how are you doing today, sir?
2: I am doing great, brothers. Thank you for
3: having me on the show today. Uh, Thank you for joining us, man. We'll jump straight into it and let you uh, introduce yourself. I mean, Larry, already went over quite a bit, but we know you have more to tell. So tell us about yourself. Give us the whole nine, your education, uh, financial and professional background, because we know you have a lot to talk about.
2: Yeah, well, my name is Cedric Nash, and um, I'm the founder of uh, the Black Wealth Summit, as well as Oakland Consulting Group, which is my uh, consulting firm. My background is I have a degree in computer science and a master's in business, worked in consulting for a lot of years, and then I started my business about 25 years ago. And when I started my business, uh, because I was so passionate about investing, I invested in apartment buildings, I invested in in stocks and bonds, I invested in other businesses through private equity and uh, multifamily properties through a private equity fund. And I've developed a sense of understanding about how to invest. And since I'm so passionate about the subject, you know, I um, pulled all my lessons learned and put it into a book because I spent a lot of time reading books on personal finance coming out of college. And I always felt like there was a gap between the rubber and the road. So they would give you all this great information, but there was no way to put it together to where you could build a roadmap for what you needed to do with your money. And so I knew that I was going to write this book, but it finally took, you know, time it took the time for me to get in a position where I could focus my effort and energy and putting the book together. And that's how I came up with the book, uh, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun or For All the Wealth, How You Become a Millionaire, Starting at the Bottom.
3: Fantastic, Barry.
2: I'm
0: uh, oh, sorry. I was going to say with the, the consulting that you do, is it like strictly something financial like investment consulting or is it personal finance also and like taxes and other stuff?
2: Yeah, no, my, my consulting firm. I have about 300 employees. We do about $90 million of revenue. We put in financial systems, accounting systems, manufacturing oh, okay. systems for big companies. Gotcha. So, um, And we provide support for them. Software products like SAP, Oracle, PeopleSoft. We mm-hmm. do it for the federal government, higher ed institutions, as well as utility firms. So that was the kind of work I did when I worked for Deloitte and Ernst & Young. My passion for personal finance just came from, it's just, it's organic. It just, you know, from the beginning, I just had a strong interest in it because I had, you know, four millionaire mentors, three black and one white that poured a lot of information in my head and, and shaped my mindset. And so this is just my way of kind of giving back what was given to me. And so um, that's where I kind of developed my, my passion for writing the book. And I have several books also in the work and, works, as well as my uh, social media platform at Millionaire Money Moves.
3: As far as those mentors, uh, we've spoken a little bit about mentors and uh, upbringing of, of, you know, Black children, Black men growing up. And I'm curious, as far as, did you come across those mentors in your adult life, or did you have any mentors as a, as a child? Yeah, I,
2: I continually collect mentors, and I started early. And as I go throughout life, anybody that I believe that has knowledge that can help me, I... I um, I take them on as mentors and I have a chapter in my book titled how to, how to find a millionaire mentor, because a lot of people ask me that question. So I talk about where to find them. And so, and I've learned over the years how to establish the kind of right relationship and rapport with them so they can mm-hmm. uh, give me the feedback and the information that I need, but I also do it in a way that doesn't disrespect their time and disrespect them. So I talk about that in the book, about what that relationship should be like and what your role is in that mentor-protege relationship. So often people say, I want a mentor. He said he'd be my mentor, but he doesn't call me back or he didn't call me. And I'm like, if he's a real mentor and he doesn't have time to call you back, then he's probably pretty knowledgeable. He's probably pretty busy. You've got to find a creative way to get within his flow so that Mm -hmm. you make it convenient for him and that he'll want to call you back. So a lot of people get frustrated with that. And it's just real simple. You just ask them, hey, what's the best format for us to communicate? And what's the best frequency? Should I talk to you once a month? Should I talk to you every two weeks, every quarter? Should we do it by going to lunch? Should we be going by doing it by going to dinner? You know, what's, what's the right format for that? So it's just really simple. And if they tell you, that to give it to you, then you've got to be consistent in following up with them in that manner. Yo, know, should I work for your assistant or what? So um, so I've kind of learned how to engage in mentors in the right way, and they've meant everything. They've meant everything. I talk in my book about how when a mentor gives you a piece of advice, you got to try it, even if you don't believe it will work. Often in our own mindset, we think we know what works or what doesn't work. And me too. Yeah, I was the <laughs> person who always thought I knew what I was doing. But I- I'll never forget one of my mentors I talk about in my book, uh, Tim Weldon, who told me that I should look into doing government contracting. And I brought, in the same, I brought in the same excuse that everybody does who don't know what they're talking about. I said, oh, the government pays slow. Oh, I heard the margins aren't good. And I, I, all I did is heard this from other people. And what's so funny about this, I'm sorry to go on about this, in my book, I talk about our mindsets and how it's important to have a millionaire mindset. Often our mindset is shaped by what other people told us.
4: Mm-hmm. Not
2: by what we know, what we've experienced, it's by what other people who we thought were knowledgeable and experienced told us. And that's a classic example. So I brought that to Tim, but then one day I tried it, got my GSA schedule, never did anything with it. Well, my business went from like $5 million in revenue to $90 million in revenue because I listened to him. You get what I'm saying? Ooh. And the yeah. government's one of my largest client base, right? And they've Mm -hmm. really, really helped me forge my financial future. So that's a classic example of how we don't listen to mentors. I mean, I'm sure you guys heard Black people heard this too, like uh, you don't want to go into rentals. You don't want, you know, people just tear up your property. Don't rent out to Section 8 and just tear up your property. We've all heard that. And then people say, well, I don't want to be a landlord. Well, tell that to my buddy Steve, who spoke at the Black Wealth Summit who owns 15,000 apartment doors. (laughs) Right, you think he's worried about people tearing up his apartments? Tell that no. to the tell that to the Jews in Jersey City and throughout the country who's out there buying properties and syndications through their synagogues and owning properties that Black people live in. Tell that to them. You think they're worried about people tearing, care where tearing up their property? So that's a mindset thing that has been programmed in our head that's prevented us from doing the things that we need. Now you hear people on all these different platforms. Talk about getting into commercial real estate, right? Now they're pumping commercial real estate. Well, if you know anything about, or, or, or multifamilies, if you know anything about how properties are valued, they're valued by their net operating income, which is their revenue minus their general expenses, not including their mortgage interest and their mortgage. So you take that mm-hmm. number times 12 divided by the sales price, and it's considered called the cap rate. So it's based on the cap rate. So as the rents are higher, the net operating income is higher which means the cap rate is lower. Low cap rates means that you're paying a premium for the property. Now is not a time to get into multifamilies unless you can get in the right cap rate. Most people aren't letting it go <laughs> with, with, without a low cap rate because they're like, hey, this is gravy. I can increase my rents as much as I want and thus my net operating income and less lower my cap rate. I know I said a lot and that's confusing, but that's the mindset shift that I'm trying to work on with our community to get it right by bringing them real concrete information about timing, about investing in things. And we've got to basically shake out of that mindset in order to try some of these things.
0: Hmm, Those are real good stuff. Uh, the Initiators, I know y'all are listening out there. Um, I heard you mention the Black Wealth Summit. Uh, I know that seems to be one of the biggest things that you do. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that and how you started it?
2: Yeah, the Black Wealth Summit, we just finished yesterday. And it was an incredible event. The enthusiasm and the energy was just crazy high. And I just really love it. But the Black Wealth Summit is a concept that I came up with uh, because I was, I have a place in Miami. I was coming down from my condo and there was all this energy in the lobby and this big old huge bank in the name of J.P. Morgan Chase, which is the largest, largest U.S. bank, probably the third largest bank in the world, was having this International Wealth Summit. And so I was joking with the lady who's registering people. I said, hello, what's going on here? She says, oh, we're having an International Wealth Summit. I said, well, how come I wasn't invited? I got a little bit of wealth. Yeah, I was just joking with her. I was a little tipsy probably coming from the
3: rooftop pool.
2: <laughs> so she, uh, she said, oh, well, you know, it's kind of for our clients and that kind of thing. So I just kind of laughed it off. And I started walking down the hall towards my condo and I started Googling it. And then I realized that Prince Harry and Meghan were there speaking. They paid them 250000 to speak. Then I realized that, you know, that uh, Magic Johnson, and Robert Smith, the richest Black men in America, and A-Rod was there speaking and attending the event. I said, like, wow, this is interesting. I later realized this event was for their billionaires. So they mm. took the whole hotel. This is the one hotel. They took up the entire hotel, $5, 000, $5 million event. They invited these people in, and they had this conference to teach the riches of the riches how to get even richer. <laughs> and the thought came to me, how come there's not anything like this for Black people? You know, I'm a member of a lot of organizations. My fraternity, I'm, an alpha, I'm from Alpha Phi Alpha, my, my, uh, my Information Technology Senior Management Forum, which is C-suite executives. And we'll have one session on wealth for one hour. People get all fired up, and they leave, and nothing changes. So I said, we need a conference. Where whose sole purpose is to talk about black money matters, from insurance mm-hmm. to investing to real estate to uh, you know to every innovative thing that's out there. And so when I saw that format, I said I'm going to get all the banks to come together, as many banks as I can, to to fund this thing. And so I pulled together my network of executives. They all bought in. They loved it. And they had networks and they had connections. And so we reached out to J.B. Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, Charles Schwab, you know, UBS, Raymond James, uh, BMO Harris, and we've convinced them to basically give us money to, ho- to host this conference. And so the idea was they're going to bring their black wealth advisors and their black executives of banking to teach and curate these classes so that we don't have a bunch of hacks on the stage talking about, uh, you know, investing in. Uh, uh, doing options trading as opposed to Morgan Stanley who taught a class on options trading. I mean, who do you want to learn about options trading from? <laughs> Some guy who says that he does it. You can't verify it. Or a company like Morgan Stanley who has a responsibility to be honest and truthful with you. And in the event that you want a relationship with them, you can still go to a black advisor and put money in his hands. So that's what the whole Blackwell Summit was about. We had uh, Damon John come and speak. Man, he was incredible. We had Ayana Van Zant, boy, she rocked the room. We had David Gardner from the Motley Fool, who's a personal friend of mine, who does a lot of information about financial stuff, and he's just an incredible person. He broke it down and made it simple for how to select the right stocks. We had Angela Yee, who a lot of people don't know that she's like you know an entrepreneur on many fronts and very knowledgeable of wealth matters. And then we also had Bishop Joel Peebles, who's uh, from Center of Phrase, come and close us out uh on saturday afternoon so it was people were leaving high spirited fired up motivated and the most important thing with more confidence in investing because a lot of times mm-hmm. we have these platforms that are teaching people things and they're taking seminars and we're not doing anything we're not doing anything because of our fear you know there was a mm-hmm. study that was produced by charles schwab and ariel capital ariel capital is a black owned uh, fund manager incredible credible fund manager by- John Rogers. He spoke last year, and um, you know they said the three in, in things that prevent black people from investing is number one access to capital, right? We know that's real. Right. Uh, lack of financial literacy. So the Black Wealth Summit is working on wealth literacy, not financial literacy. We're teaching them how to be wealthy, not just knowledgeable. And then number three, fear. And the only way you think you can do to eradicate that fear is education. And through that education, they get more confidence. And with that confidence, they're willing to jump. And then the encouragement to hang in there until they figure out how to, just exactly what they're doing. So I'm sorry to be so long with but you know. Oh no, no, no! Passion. Those are great. I mean, it, <laughs> it,
0: the summit sounds amazing.
2: You guys got to be a part of it next year, man. Definitely have to come be a part of it. It was it was a great experience. We're we're trying to grow this thing, and if it's my if it's if I have a choice, it will be free and accessible to all. We're not doing this for money. We're Blackwell Summit is a nonprofit organization. You know, I created it. Mm-hmm. Because of all the social media hacks out there that are selling financial financial uh, literacy, when uh, I just don't think it should be for sale. I just think that you know, yeah, I know you could be an expert and you could be a financial planner in the whole nine yards, but it doesn't need to be for sale. And if if it's tied to me, we're going to make it as cheap and as cost uh, effective as possible, just to cover our costs because. You know, I made my money doing what I'm doing. I'm not going to make my money off of you. I think people should use their money to make them rich, mm-hmm. not the influencer richer, right? Mm-hmm. And if the influencer is a real influencer, he should already be rich before he started to give the advice in the first place. <laughs> right? <laughs> you
0: get what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. He shouldn't oh, yeah, be trying okay. to
2: get rich off of the advice. And so I believe that's why I've been given this talent, this platform and why I'm writing my books is because I don't want them to have to feel like they got to pay for a seminar and most of them come out of it saying I didn't learn a thing or it didn't really help me out at all. Because the issue is not so much. We got to get them more confident so they jump. But if they've used all their money in their education, now they got no money to jump.
1: Yeah. I and love what you said, because a lot of these influencers, I mean, they're not even doing what they're saying. They're, they're just making money off of all these people.
2: Just, just look up their network, right? And you'll see it. Some yeah, of them are barely exactly. worth a million dollars. At max, maybe five million. But then they want to tell their story about how they came from being nobody to being this dynamic speaker with all these influencers, and that's their success story. Well, my success story is i got 300 employees. We do $90 million in business. I make a profit with consulting. I also invest in real estate. I've got several commercial properties and apartment buildings. My success is in, is in actual investing, right? I tell people, my grandmother gave me $10,000. She had an eighth grade education. She died with $43,000. She left $13,000 for her funeral, $30,000 for her grandkids, my brother and my sister. She left me $10,000. I turned her $10,000, went into a Charles Schwab account in 1983, and turned it into millions. That's my success story. (laughs) I know how to make people millionaires, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to do it for a fee.
1: Yeah, and you, and you keep on using the word millionaire. So let's, let's get into it some more. How does a person develop a millionaire mindset?
2: You know, uh, developing a millionaire mindset has a lot to do with who you hang out with. You show me your friends, I show you your future. You want to soar like eagles, you can't hang out with turkeys, Damn. right? <laughs> so, the, so the whole point is, and these, these are things I say all the time. So people say, I'm tired of him saying that, but it's just the truth. So the whole point is what, let me just tell you how it plays out. Let's say, for example, now, I don't want to pick on sisters. We could do both of sisters and brothers. Let's say sisters starts the beginning of the year. She has a plan to just do one vacation for the year. Then all of a sudden July comes. Essence Festival's coming up. Nothing gets Essence Festival. I think it's an incredible thing. Her girlfriend says, Girl, we need to go to Essence. Girl, I ain't got no money for that. Come on, we're going to have a good time. You know, we ain't going to spend that much money. We're just going to go and have a good time and be uplifted by the music and by the energy, which uh, essence is a very uplifting experience. I've been many times. So then she doesn't plan for it. And the next thing you know, she's thinking she's going to spend a thousand. And by the time she looks up, she spent 5,000. She's got her, had to get some new clothes, right? She had to get her hair done, (laughs) nails done, right? Then they are eating out, then they're trapped. And she never planned on spending that 5,000. So the whole point is, is that, um, you know, the, the key is that, that we have to have a plan for our wealth. And that plan has to be, we have to have the ability and the mindset to fight against those forces that push us in the wrong direction. And as black people, as black people, culturally, our culture cements in us a mindset that is contradiction, contradictory to building wealth.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Completely contradictory to building wealth. And so for us, we have to fight that much harder to go against the grain, right? right. So we see, we see a brother that is you know draped in Gucci and all the honeys are checking him out, and looking at him. He's all iced out and diamonded up. And all these chicks are looking at him and onlookers and brothers look at him. They're like, oh, okay, that, that's how I got to roll in order to get the honeys to look at me like that. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the dude that's looking like a square, let's just say myself, you know they don't see the apartment buildings I own. They don't see the income I make. They don't see my assets, right? They don't see any of that. They mm-hmm. just assume that that brother is richer than I am. That's a cultural thing, and what it does is it cements something in our mindset that in order to get the in order to get the attention of being wealthy, we have to look wealthy. You're right. You what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so I say this all the time. Until we can detach our self esteem. From our pursuit of wealth, we're going to be, we're going to constantly struggle. Why do I know this? I know this because I was that brother too. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about me. Right. But with me, when I, when my age, I'm 58, so I was coming up in the air wearing Steve Harvey suits and Michael Jordan suits, and you know, you no, know, we do. go. We got a wide leg. You wide know, <laughs> pants leg, you know, <laughs> draping, everything flowing. You know what I'm saying? That's the era we came up with. So I was paying $2,000 a suit to buy suits, and I would spend like seven grand a year, every January, end of the year, had a good business year. I call Dion, my buddy from Dion Scott, who was making shack suits and making, making, uh, making magic suits. I ran into him. I found out about him on Black Enterprise, and I connected with Dion, and we're still good friends. He'll make shirts for me from time to time. But I was going out buying $2,000 suits. I buy, like, four suits a year, three to four suits a year, you know, whole nine yards. Man, one day, this is a funny story. I'm at the Congressional Black Caucus. I'm sitting in my, in my little AMG bins, you know, and I'm sitting there just waiting for some friends to come out of the Renaissance where they always have – it's always a hangout spot. I see this brother walking down Ninth Street. In this brown suit, I wrote this story in the book. And boy, the suit was draped, it was clean. It was just like, I was like, wow. And if anybody knows anything about some DC brothers, some of these brothers really not addressed. And so I said, you know what? No matter how hard I try, no matter how much money I spend, I will never be the sharpest cat in the room. They've won. I'm done. I gave up. Because <laughs> secretly inside, we're all competing to be that sharpest cat. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I talk about it in the book. But I'm not talking about you or anybody. I'm talking about me. And I know that this is stirring up in a lot of brothers, and we won't sometimes admit it. But the whole point is, is like, and then from that moment on, I started buying office buildings and, you know, saving more of my money. I was always good with my money, but I just continually got better with it. And that's really Mm -hmm. what it is. You get better with it. Mm -hmm. And so that's the mindset thing that a lot of white guys don't have. They don't have to, they go to work wearing, you know, gap. They're not trying to create, make that statement
4: mm-hmm. about
2: who they are. And that comes from slavery. I say that all the time. It comes from slavery because the white men took everything from us. They took our woman from us. They took our home, our way of life. They took it, our religion, our language, everything. They took everything. And they shipped mm-hmm. us to this foreign land 6,000 miles away. And we had to learn and then they enslaved us and they used us and they still kept taking stuff from us. And then by the time we got to be sharecroppers and uh, reconstruction and down to Jim Crow, now you have a brother who might be a gardener or he might be a butler for a white man. And he's walking down the street in a clean suit, nice tie, hat, shiny shoes, pimp socks, nice Cadillac, walking proud in our community. Right, Mm -hmm. We won't do it in their community because we don't want them to know how good we are, what we're doing. We're doing it in our community, (laughs) right? Because Mm -hmm. people look at him and they talk to him with respect. Because all we're doing is fighting for respect.
4: Mm -hmm.
2: We're just fighting to be respected. And so a lot of times what we're doing with our overconsumption of clothes and stuff like that and of these luxury goods is that we want attention, we want to be respected for being somebody because we've been told forever that we're nobody. And Mm -hmm. so that's where it comes from. And so now today, respect looks like iced out in all kinds of jewelry, sagging pants, Gucci, you know, all the trappings that says he's a baller, right? (laughs) But all he's trying to do is get respect. All he's trying to do is get somebody to to look at him and make him feel like he is somebody. And that's why I'm telling you, we have to detach ourselves from that need or that desire for wanting to be somebody and actually be somebody by what we do and not worry about how people view it. So I'm sorry to go on and on, because I know you guys are quiet. No. You guys are sitting, <laughs> sitting there. Hey, yeah, we're soaking I, up the I, game, I, man.
3: Yeah, Keep that, was, yeah, that yeah. was some good stuff. I mean,
0: yeah. we've heard that repeatedly, like our culture does not, doesn't head in a beneficial direction like that. Yeah. There's not value those type of things.
2: They don't. And I talk about that book. My book, I talk about my millionaire money move system, which is three things. It's developing a millionaire mindset. Number two, it's adopting millionaire values. Right. And then number three, it's making millionaire money moves. The mindset is the offense. The values is the defense. It's the thing that keeps the money. And the and millionaire money moves is the playbook. That's the how. And so the value system, think about it. I mean, I live in Miami. I got buddies that come into town. They want to go to the strip club. They want to go to booby trap on the river. And we'll go. I never get a table because I'm not paying crazy money for a table. But we go. And, 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 yeah, seriously, why am I going to pay that kind of money? This is values. It's like, why am I going to pay you $1,000 for a $30 bottle of vodka? Come on, now. I don't get value out of that. But it's, 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 it's like a sociology project. We sit at the bar. I sit at the bar and drink one drink at a time and just kind of watch the show. And you'll see them bring this little Ferrari car out and they'll have 10,000 in ones. And then they'll bring that to one table. The other brother see oh, they got 10,000. We got to get 15,000. All of a sudden, you see this other car come out, 15,000 in ones, right? Then you see somebody, oh, 20,000 in ones. And the girls are just going crazy. Oh, these guys got money, right? All the girls really? want to kind of go over to their table and start making that money. Millionaires don't do that shit. And like, they'd be like, <laughs> I'm sorry <if> I'm sorry. <laughs> Yo, why am I going to give you my money? What am I getting for? Just a exactly. show? I got the show at the bar for $15 a drink.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, other dude paying $10,000.
2: Right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, no, I'm dead serious. And these dudes be just throwing it out. They want to go up to the stage and they want to, oh, it's a show. They're part of the show. this thing is crazy, only our culture gets, you go to the white club there's a club called 11, you go to the white club, you know, and this thing is hype, it's like huge, they got a rooftop, the line going out the door, women and men going in there, you look at the floor, you see like five dollars, five dollars of ones on the floor you go to the black club, man, you see just cash everywhere (laughs) you get what I'm saying it's just mind (laughs) boggling And we think that's value. I got an African buddy who came here with nothing. I talked about it in my book. He came here with nothing. W- got a soccer scholarship to come from Ghana to the East Coast to play soccer. Had to get his times up, working on running to get his times up. He comes here, he gets a job. He hate- he's looking at the job. He's like, man, this I can't get rich off this. So then he starts learning uh, how to flip houses by reading, not taking anybody's seminar. You know, we're always mm-hmm. looking for some quick answer. The answers are right there mm-hmm. in the books and in Google. They're right, right there. You can learn this stuff on your own. So he learns how to flip houses, but he doesn't have any money. So then he starts spotting houses for guys who have cash to flip them. And then he starts taking that money and building it up until he can start flipping houses. Now he flips about five to seven houses in a year. Makes about 35000 to sometimes 100000 per flip. He's a millionaire within his outright. He owns property back in Ghana, commercial property. And so I was talking to Prosper because I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say his name. But I was talking to my buddy because I like stuff, too. That's why I wrote the book, because I like, shoot, I got a Ferrari, Bentley, all this stuff. But it's the way that I do. It's the reward system that I do that keeps me challenged and focused on building up assets as I buy those things. He doesn't like any of it. He goes out and get a (laughs) new car. He'll go out and get a pre-owned Lincoln. And he'll be around Mm -hmm. me, and it just doesn't bother him. I said, Prosper, I said, "You, you don't seem to like that stuff. He says, no, man, money is a tool. Money is a tool to make more money. I don't look at money as something to be thrown away. That's value. And so I talk in my book about the need to change those values. And so you ask me a question. I know I'm going around and around. How do you change that? The first thing, you have to change your environment. You got to change the people you hang with, right? You got to hang, start hanging out with people who look at money differently, right? Mm-hmm. The way I say it is, when you hang out with those people, what's going to happen? Your conversation is going to change. Change your conversation, you change your destination. At the same time, you got to change your programming. A lot of our programming and cultural stuff, this is in the book. We've been programmed and baked in our heads for years. It's hard. It's not going to change overnight. That's why we can't get rich overnight. Because we've got to unprogram ourselves on the old stuff and be reprogrammed with the new stuff. And that comes from what you read, what you watch on television, and what you soak in. You have to be all in on this game by what you read and the things that you do. You can't you know, be subversed, nothing against love and hip-hop, on love and hip-hop and these images of the same thing that keeps us from building wealth. You can't be all in on that and think that you're going to get out of that. So you got to mm-hmm. go into that and then you got to start practicing something different. And over time, through your practice, through the people you hang out, through the stuff that you put into your head, your mindset gets re-cemented based on truths, not what people said, but based on what you know, based on what you've researched. And it takes a long period of time. And that's why I tell people that it could take you seven years to become a millionaire. Seven years. You 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 can get a six pack in like nine months. But it's gonna take you, you know, seven years or more to to build wealth. Why? Takes time to accumulate capital, takes time to change your mindset, takes time for markets to change, it takes time for assets to grow, right? So this whole quick rich thing gotta get out of your head. It's gonna take time, but if you don't start today, you're
3: going to fail to start. Man, dropping gems. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Uh, everything you said was, I think, was spot on. Uh Basically, our culture, we need to change on how we view wealth and, and what we put that importance uh, in. Uh But as far as something that's affecting us today, everybody knows that during time of economic downturn, it's the uh, low-income individuals and minorities are the most impacted. So mm-hmm. my question is, do you believe we're in a recession or are we headed to a recession? And what can we do in that case to help shield from that?
2: I believe technically we're not in a, rela- in a recession, technically in terms of what it really means, in terms of the number of quarters of de- of, uh, of economic downturn. But I believe we're like in recession-like territory. So you might as well be in a recession. It doesn't really matter. I think that you know, co- jobs, companies are starting to lay people off. You know, the stock market's been very, very flat. Um, housing market's starting to go down. It's going to continue to go down. As they continue to increase interest rates, people are going to, it's sending signals that, oh, no, I don't want to buy now, right? Sellers that are trying to sell their houses, you know, they kind of missed the boat and they're going to have to lower their prices in order to sell, to move that inventory. And when they lower their prices, now you've got new comparables and then now that's going to send the signal that housing is worth less than what it was before. So- I believe that's the case, but you know, you know what millionaires do when we start getting into this recessionary time. You know what we do? What is that? Like, <laughs> like okay, let's go. Start getting ready. You now you're ready. Start buying. Yeah. Get ready to buy it's some, like, right? Put me in the game, coach, right? <laughs> right. So it's like you know I could shoot forty now because the defense is asleep. You get what I mean? Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is is that you know Warren Buffett has a famous famous saying. He says when people are fearful that's when you need to be greedy. When people are greedy, that's when you need to be fearful. So what's happening? People start starting to be mm-hmm. fearful, right?
3: Yeah, that's exactly well, what's happening. are he's, he's a, mm-hmm.
2: being fearful. I bought a lot of, you know, my stock in the 2008 recession, when it was de- flat down, people scared. Mm. people pulling out of their 401ks, right? If you know anything about the stock market historically, it always finds a way to get back up there. Just gotta trust the process. So, mm-hmm. I think uh, if you are low income and if you are struggling, you need to, you know, you you need to tighten up your spending on consumable things like, you know, entertainment, eating out, buying Gucci, those kind of things. We need to tighten up our spending on those things. We need to also start focusing on our main hustle and our side hustle. You know, a lot of times people might be losing jobs. So start thinking about, we should always be thinking about that. What about my side hustle? Can my side hustle sustain me if I could do it full time? Right. Mm-hmm. So you've got to start shorting up your income sources, right? In the event that your main in source main income source falters. And I hate that as our community, we're saying, okay, now what? The whole point is you've got to be operating with the same mindset, regardless of if the economy's doing well or if the economy's not doing well. Because now we're just digging a deeper hole. So we're trying to how do you get on the right side? How you get on the right side is having the right mindset even when things are good when things are good, not, not, not shopping and spending and not overdoing it. When things are good, mm-hmm. investing and stacking up even when they're good. So you know, now we want solutions where when it's bad, but the problem is all that does is kind of keep us in the cycle of, where, of never getting good. So mm-hmm. my whole point is like, you want to develop this mindset of frugality. What our community needs more than anything. My dad who's 90 years old spoke at the summit and my dad was born very poor. I mean, they, they Raise pigs in order to basically eat, and they stored it up over the winter. So they over Mm. the summer, so they have it over the winter. Yeah, it was like it was really that, that Mm pool in North Carolina. They were sharecroppers, and so the whole point is, is the older older people really get it. You have to be extremely frugal even when you don't have to. That's Mm -hmm. the road to riches, and then you got to get busy investing.
0: That's a good point. I mean, I think that think that concept is lost, like you said, just being frugal throughout the whole time, even even during the good times. Yeah, it's lost, you know what's so brutal. sad
2: about it? It's lost, but it's social media mm. as well as digital marketing. Mm-hmm. It got us, man. We wake up and before we knew it, we spent $100. <laughs> you know, being able to buy things right off our cell phone, mm-hmm. right? That that ease of use. And it's like the super rich and the millionaires who can afford to advertise constantly and get in your head, they're constantly keeping you right where you are. And you have to consciously Fight. And that's I talk about in my book. You gotta fight for every penny that you have. That's your money. You make the choice. Like we want to complain about not getting reparations, which I believe black people deserve. We want to complain about the government not making the game fair. We wanna complain about that, but no matter what they do, because of the kind of Congress we have, it's never going to have a real you know, significant impact on us. And now that mm-hmm. they can only do one part of it, we've got to do the other. We've Mm -hmm. got to intentionally do something different with our money if we're going to have a different result. So I talked about values because your money, the reason why people are where they are, their outcomes are tied to their behavior with money, right? Yes. Their behavior with money drives their outcome. But their behavior is the shadow to their values, their priorities. So where their priorities goes, Mm. goes their behaviors. Where their behaviors goes, their results and that's why you see athletes who get all this money and you start thinking oh this set for life like Antoine Walker 100 million dollars in his career ended up broken bankrupt why it wasn't because he didn't try it was because his values his money values his priorities were not aligned around investing and being frugal so that his behaviors were around buying his mama house buying his mama Rolls Royce buying you know helping people out it's hard to fight these people who've been helping you all your life. Mm
4: -hmm. And so when they
2: get all that money, it's like pouring gasoline on an open fire because they have not transformed their mindset and their values. And then the money runs out and then it's too late. That's why mindset and values are way more important than what you do with money. You can't be consistent with money unless you have the right values and mindset around money.
0: And I think you're kind of going into this avenue now. Um, What are some financial mistakes that will prevent a family from building wealth? Specifically, black people.
2: Yeah. One of the, um, I just, some of the state mistakes that really kills us, I could say, is first of all, not by not uh, consistently saving and investing and preparing for the future. And some of the stuff I talked about being frugal, that's one of the biggest mistakes. And how it hurts us is I call this thing ground zero effect. You might have a great grandfather who was old, didn't make much money, but he found a way to buy five houses. And those five houses went up in value. And he's got five kids and he passes on a house to each one of those kids when he dies. And now the kids like in his forties or fifties and they haven't done right by their money because they weren't taught how to do right, to, be, to, be, to be frugal with their money. So they spent all their money and they're struggling. Now they got this house that's worth a hundred thousand. So this father built up $500,000 in, in wealth for that family. He divides it to five kids and it's still 500000 but then what do those kids do? Maybe four of them sell it,
0: they sell it yo.
2: and go on a shopping spree and buy Gucci and give it to, to, to uh, Selma Hayek's husband, right, who's the owner of Gucci, right? And, or takes a trip and goes to Vegas to see Usher or, you know, you know just feeling rich, right? Feeling <laughs> rich for a moment, for a season, mm-hmm. balling for a season, because they have never been able to do that. I get the urge to want to do that. And then maybe one person maybe saves it and does something. So now, let's say that one person saved it and turned it into 200,000. So now that $500,000 in family wealth is now down to 200, if that. Mm -hmm. So, how in the world can we ever close the racial wealth gap when each generation is getting poorer than the previous generation? Mm. You can't. Mm. We're starting from ground zero every, or ground below zero every generation, right? So the way that I look at it in terms of generational wealth, we talk about generational wealth. We talk about it. You hear people say it. And then generational wealth at the end of the sixth century. I want to be able to create generational. They say it. They are not understanding what they're saying. Generational wealth is not an amount of money. I just showed you a family that had $500,000 and it ended up to maybe 200000 It's not an amount of money. You can have generational wealth with $10,000. Like my grandmother created generational wealth with her $43,000. Why? Because I turned her $10 million. Into millions, my brothers and sisters aren't as kind of as astute as I am with finances, and I'm pretty sure they 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 pissed that money away. Mm-hmm. I know they did. I didn't. My grandmother created generational wealth. Mm-hmm. That's what. So it doesn't matter how much money it is, and and not a, you know to go deeper. My grandmother was a beast with money. She didn't that. She made two hundred dollars a month working in New York City in a in a cleaners in a laundry. $200 a month, that's all she made. And she saved up that much money, wow. paid off her house in the Bronx, in which I own right now, it's worth about $700,000. She paid $25,000 for it. Wow. Pa- paid for it and get $200 a month. My mother would say, her daughter would say, it doesn't matter how much money you make. What matters is how much you keep. If you can't manage a little bit of money, you won't be able to manage a lot of money. And it's all real around that mindset. So the whole point is I kind of adopted kind of their ways of things, right? My grandmother mm-hmm. and my mom saved coins. I got a big old five-gallon thing of uh coins, uh nickels and dimes, and another one in pennies. I said, anybody break in my house, that's all they're going to get. <laughs> I don't keep nothing in the house. Nothing, yeah. You heard of, uh who was I? I can't think of it was a basketball player. Somebody broke in his house and got like hundreds of thousands of dollars. They ain't going to get that in my house. You, you know, it's <laughs> the wrong house. Right. But the whole point, you know, so... But I'm just saying that's what generational wealth is. It's about teaching that next generation how to make it bigger.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: It's about teaching them the values of money. It's about instilling with them the right mindset around money and the right practices around growing it. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's 5,000, if it's 1,000, if you're teaching them how to grow it, if you're, if you're teaching them how to value it, you are creating generational wealth. But if you teach them nothing, and you just give it to them and they can't wait to get their hands on it that's i love my, my three sons and my stepdaughter you know they have the right mindset they, you know they never got into this nike thing they never got into like standing in line to buy tennis shoes. right mm-hmm. so they just can't get their hand they just can't wait to buy their first set of real estate and i'm gonna mentor them and coach them they want to do theirs on their own and then whenever i leave them they, they plan on taking it and managing it. Because I tell them, you know, don't sell, don't sell my properties, don't sell that. That's, oh, my great-great-grandchildren are supposed to make money off those properties. This is just, right. we're just using it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the, the value of that asset is going to continue to go up, but the income from it is going to pay for my great-great-great-grandchildren's college.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: That's the mindset. That's what we're trying to build. That's the kind of stuff I talk about in my book about building up these assets. See, their wealth is tied to your assets. And those assets have a way of going up in value. All right? you take a house today that's worth 600000 What was it worth 25 years ago? Maybe 100000 Assets go up in value. Mm-hmm. They do, especially if they produce income. As the income goes up, the value of the asset goes up. That's why apartment buildings and commercial property is so valuable. So I'm sorry mm-hmm. you guys got me on my soapbox, man. I can talk about this
3: stuff. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> hey, we love listening to you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely.
1: So what I took from what you're saying is for a, for a Black family to build generational wealth, we need to teach, teach the younger generations pretty much?
2: Yes, they got to teach each generation. That's why we're saying when we went, when I was, my last thing I said on the Black Wealth Summit about what we're doing in the future, next year I want you to bring your family. You got to bring your family. You got to drag them out. And you've got to get them immersed. There was one lady, I'll never forget this, I wish I would remember her name. She had three little handsome young men there that were her sons. Young. These boys are 12 and 14, and there are, I said, you guys own stock? Yep. What do you like? Uh, I got some Disney. I got some, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's what I'm talking about. I said, you guys are the future mm-hmm. millionaires in training. And then they said, they said the wrong word. It was like, oh, and cryptocurrency. I was like, oh, you know what that junk, you know what that junk <laughs>
3: I'm not a <laughs> cryptocurrency
2: fan. Because why? No revenue, no profit, no intellectual property, no historical returns, unregulated. It's speculative. You have no idea what's going to happen with it. It can, you know, mm-hmm. the whole point is, is like you, you compare that to uh like, like Pacific Gas and Electric whose stock has been down. Well, they got power lines, they got loads of intellectual property, they got thousands of thousands upon customers who are gonna pay their bill. Their offense is incredible, even though they've had some serious issues with buyers that they got to work through. But the whole point is their offense is incredible. They're always going to make money. They're always going to figure it out.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Cryptocurrency, we don't know what the hell's going to happen with that. And now the U.S. is talking about creating a digital dollar. Okay, so what's the need of a cryptocurrency or of a Bitcoin if I got a digital dollar? Oh, mm-hmm. it's going to be unregulated. And the government can't mess with it. Well, what's the government doing now? Joe Biden has a task force that's figuring out how to... How to regulate cryptocurrency so if they regulate it right If they regulate it then w- what's all the excitement about what you know it's going to be just like a digital dollar and then mm-hmm. not only that one man determines how much bitcoin is going to be mined yeah. one person and then now a government like china's already said we're not going to deal with cryptocurrency what government would allow their, their dollar, their currency, to be undermined by another currency? None of them will. It's just logically it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You know, and the fact is, it fluctuates so much. Just think, your dollar is worth maybe a dollar to a dollar five cents or to ninety five cents at given any given time, based on the value of the dollar. Cryptocurrency is swinging from sixty six thousand to nineteen thousand to twenty thousand. How <laughs> a currency has to be stable in order to be reliable. Mm-hmm. so you know ask me real- so this is the thing you got me another thing on mindset fast easy free we gravitate to these things that are going to make us loads of money that don't cost as much money that's really fast and we don't have to do anything for it that's a mindset thing in our black community that i'm trying to wipe out you don't get rich fast right you get rich fast. you get rich like, I like to sing nice and slow. You know, that's all my uh, <laughs> Freddie Jackson. That's how you get rich, nice and slow. <laughs> Just keep it easy, steady, consistently. So you guys got me on my soapbox. You know, I love talking about this subject. I wake up talking about this, man. <laughs> hey,
1: man, you're dropping a lot of information for us. Um And, and I've heard you talk earlier in this conversation about an offense and defense. I, I would guess that maybe a side hustle might be part of your offense. Yeah,
2: yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that everybody should have a side hustle, man. I shh, man. Name me anybody that's making a whole bunch of money that ain't working their butts off, working a lot of hours. You know, Mark Cuban said something in a book he had. He wrote this little book. I loved it. And I give it to all my little mentees. And he says, effort is not measured in the amount of time, amount of hours, amount of days that you work. Effort is measured in the amount of time necessary to achieve your desired result. So no matter how long, how many hours. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, if you're going to make serious money, name me anybody that makes a million dollars or more a year who's not working their tail off. I got the pleasure to get to know Angela Yee, your assistant. This woman is like on the radio show five days a week. She's traveling everywhere throughout the week, speaking all over the place, and you know, she's still building her celebrity. But I'm just saying, she's just working. She left our conference. Finished speaking from 8.30 to about 10. Left our conference and had to go to New York to do another event.
4: You Mm -hmm. get what I'm saying?
2: Most people can't handle that. They can't Mm -hmm. handle... So so it's the same thing if you're trying to build your portfolio. If you're trying to build real wealth, it's going to take major, major effort. So you need a main hustle and a side hustle until you can invest in your investment hustle and your investment hustle does all the work. That's the name of the game. My investment hustle should be making my income you, you have to use your money to put your money to work so that your money makes your income, not cheap. Mm-hmm. And that only happens if you build up a certain amount of capital consistently over time. But you can't be spending it on making Arnold Chenault, the owner of LVMH, Jack Jones, Moet <laughs> yeah. Chandon, you know, Louis Vuitton, mm-hmm. Dom Perignon, Hennessy, Hermes, Hennessey,
4: yeah.
2: yeah, Dior. I call he has all the black brands, all the brands we love, <laughs> he owns. We made him 10 billion, 100 billion richer during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. 100 billion richer. So I'm just saying that we, we've got to work like, like our life's depend on it. If not, then just, it's, you don't have to, just accept where you are in life and mm-hmm. be at peace with that.
0: And a lot of people have difficulty with that one.
3: Yes. <laughs> So uh, you mentioned and we talked about the Black Wealth Summit. So where was it at this year? And do you plan on being in the same spot next year? or Will it rotate on locations?
2: Well, we're trying to, what happens is our goal is to have multiple conferences throughout the year. The Black Wealth Summit is our mm-hmm. flagship conference that we're going to keep, uh, if my board continues to approve it, in, in Maryland, because of the connection to the political, financial scene, uh, right, just up in New York. But we want to uh, kick off our student platform, which is going to be 100% free for students. It's called the Student Edition. And I actually have a book that's, that, I'm, uh, that I've already written, but I'm going to publish directed to college students, getting them on the path to building wealth starting out of college like I did. Because they, are, they have the ability to have a huge impact on closing the racial wealth gap because they have time on their side. And if you know anything about compounding, you know, the key to compounding is time. And so they have an incredible, I'm trying to really get to them Right? This is the work I'm trying to do, get to them. And I, I told them, we had a great conversation. I said, you guys know what your number is? My generation needs three to five million in cash that they're going to retire just off their cash. Your generation is going to need 10. And I showed them mm. because, of, because of appreciation. 43 years from now when they're 65, right?
4: Mm-hmm. Three to five,
2: three, three, you know, three million is about eight, eight to 10 million, right? Mm. It's equivalent of eight to 10 million. So I put that in their head. You got to come out aggressively going after 10. So you got to start investing really soon. So it's going to be here. And then we're going to do a collegiate edition. We're going to do a, a women's uh, women on wealth edition and possibly somewhere around Dallas area. Uh, these are just ideas. They're not formatted yet. We want to mm-hmm. do a uh, and the college edition is going to rotate to each college and then broadcast free for the other colleges. And then we want to do a, uh, a, men's, uh, a men's investment summit. We're calling it Up Next. And that's where the older successful black gentlemen are mentoring the 40 and under black men on building partnerships and teaching them what we know about building wealth. Right. It's like a mentorship mm-hmm. to get them to build, you know, to because you know, we got to make money together. Right. right. So, mm-hmm. and then we like to do an accredited investors conference in Miami, and that's designed for high net worth African-Americans, the ones who can invest in hedge funds and VC money and give mm-hmm. funds to Black startups, those kinds of things. And then we love to do an international Black Wealth Summit in New York City, where we bring our brothers from the continent of Africa and from the Caribbean islands and Europe. And we come together and we talk about emerging opportunities uh, abroad. So this is all about investing and about accumulating assets, because that's what makes you wealthy. And that's why we call it the Black Wealth Summit. (laughs)
1: <laughs> amazing. We we really look forward to seeing all this uh, amazing. Um, also, your your book. I guess when when and where can people start uh, purchasing your book? Yeah, my book
2: is on pre order right now. It's titled. I don't know if my screenshot will allow me to show show. Here it is. A little bit of it now. Um, okay.
0: Yeah, we can see
2: it. Yeah. So it's available right now on Amazon for pre order. Uh, it's titled Why Should White Guys Have All the Wealth? I kind of uh, was inspired by Reginald Lewis's book Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? Gave a special tribute to him because that book was very transformative. And I have my Millionaire Money Moves Supplemental Guide, which is the second book, which talks about the investing side. That's a smaller book. But if you go to Amazon, you can pre-order right now. I wish you go out and pre-order it. And it's going to be released on January 17th, a day after Martin Luther King's birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just doing the marketing for it now, making people aware of it, working with different media and press to get the word out. And I really think that I hit a home run with this book. and. Now I'm not giving myself just the credit, it was really my ideas and my thoughts. I had a ghostwriter that worked with me to kind of shape my my thousand words of writing into like what I think is a masterpiece that really unlocks how to become a millionaire starting from the bottom. I mean it, I mean, I'm not, this is not trying to be cute saying how to become a millionaire starting from the bottom. I show you how to become a millionaire starting from the bottom. If you have absolutely nothing but a job and a will and a desire, and willing to make the sacrifices, um, I can teach people how to get there. It won't be fast, but I know they will get there.
0: That's awesome. It sounds like you have some great stuff coming. Uh, working, where can everybody find you? Where's your uh, Well, people can Twitter find
2: me on my, on my um, Instagram. I do mostly Instagram at Millionaire Money Moves. So people say, well, why do you say that name? When they get the book, they'll understand it. It's a real framework. It's a real system that allows you to kind of like uh, move your money in the right direction, to mobilize your money into building assets. So that's really the pos- That's really the process. You can also reach me on my, my my website at cedricnash.com. I explain my millionaire money moves framework. I got free downloads. So all my Excel spreadsheets that are in the book are on my website. You can download them. I also have a, uh, a Black Wealth Growth Challenge that I started last year. And it kicks off again starting January where I teach people and coach people for free via Zoom. And we meet every other week. And the objective is to grow their net worth. So they're going to start at the beginning of the year and they're going to document their net worth at the beginning of the year. They're going to update it every quarter. And by the end of the next year, their net worth is going to be higher than it was the year before they started. Because if they're willing to put in the work, I'm willing to coach someone how to, how to get their wealth to grow. And that's, you know we talk about wealth. We talk... We just talk about it. I'm trying to be about it. I'm trying to give you real tools that can measure your wealth. And I'm telling you, it separates the men from the boys. Because what happens is when they realize the sacrifice they have to make to make their wealth go up, the let their wealth grow, it's a lot of people drop off, they fall off. Uh, because it's because, you know, th- this is why the racial wealth gap is so stubborn and so hard to close is because when you look at the real work that's necessary to close the racial wealth gap, a lot of people aren't really ready. And it's okay. They may not be ready. Just want them to hold on my book. And when they are ready, now they have the tools to get there.
1: Man, amazing. Really, really look forward to reading your books. We're, we're looking forward to it. Cedric, man, we're very, very happy to have you on. Very great with some great information. Thank you very much, sir.
2: Thank you very much. I really appreciate the time, Larry, Eric, and Terrence. Thank you. Yeah, th- thank you
0: for yeah, coming thank on. You. We'll probably definitely do a book review over that.
2: Yes, please do. And spread the word. Help me spread the word, man. We're trying to make a difference in our community. That's all we're trying to do. I just get tired of, I read so many books and they just really didn't do it. And what I basically did is I read all these books. Now I created a system that leveraged all the good things I've read and all the things I've done to where it's systematic, to where it's not, you know, you, you get these books and you finish reading them and you're like, okay, that was a great book. That was inspiring. Like even Rich Dad Poor Dad, great book. People loved it. How many people bought multifamily properties after reading? Where do, where, where do I start? What do I do? What's the first thing I do? You get mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I create a system that is designed to teach people you know, how to start and how to finish.
1: Good deal. All initiators, yeah. please check out Cedric and everything he's got going on. Um, and for BFI, bye. Take care, y'all. Peace. All right.
3: Thank you, Cedric. Thank you.